Hello, welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm Dave Cohen, and joining me uh, today, as ever, we have James Carey. Hello. And our producer, Katie Storey. Hello. And uh, it's a special, uh, we've got a, a special two-parter this time around, because uh, joining us, we're very pleased to have uh, a man with us who, uh, if there's something about scripts, that uh, comedy scripts that he doesn't know... I don't know what that is because he but he would he would he know what he, he doesn't probably know. know himself. Yeah, uh, uh, Andrew Ellard. Hello. Andrew. I, mean, I mean, I'm big, but referring to me as a special two-parter is pushing it a bit. <laughs> well, we shall see. We, uh, I think we'll be. We, you know, we could do four. I think we could do four or five of these. And in fact, uh, actually, uh, we did uh, about four years ago. In fact, when uh, James and I were doing uh, the, the uh, prequel to this uh, podcast, uh, which was a sort of general comedy thing, and uh, we we had. Uh, Andrew along then and it was um, re- really uh, interesting stuff that we picked up there and I promise we won't be repeating anything from that but uh, there was also another podcast which we're also not going to be repeating Andrew did a podcast for the UK scriptwriters podcast uh, that uh, Danny Stack and Tim Clegg do which is really well worth listening to and um, uh, so we're going to try and but li- if you love comedy if you love sitcoms go and listen to that one UK sitcom uh, UK scriptwriters is a podcast, and Andrew did episode 40-something of that. So and click the link as you're listening now. Yes, that's right. No, 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 don't click the link. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, that's an hour, and it's really well worth going to get hold of. So we're going to avoid talking about anything on there. So hopefully this will be new stuff. And it just, just shows, really, the breadth of Andrew's knowledge that there are still so many things we could <laughs> talk about. We got Actually, though, I thought we could... Uh, I did have a listen back to the old uh, podcast... And uh, there were a few sort of newsy items that we had at the top. I thought it would be quite interesting to uh, revisit some of the things that we were talking about way back in 2012. Oh, what a time. What a innocent times when uh, we still were a part of Europe. And uh, We still think, are, Dave. Don't uh, worry. Yes, we okay. still are. Yes. <laughs> and, um, yes, and um, Ed Miliband was the uh, leader of the opposition. Well, there you go. Now, there's a name you, you probably haven't heard since then. Um ITV were, were had big plans for comedy at that point, and they'd all fallen apart because of the uh, the, 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 the cuts and everything. But now they're they're kind of back on track, aren't they? ITV. But um, one one thing that I remember was being said was that ITV are looking for a sitcom to go out at seven thirty on a Thursday evening. Anyone oh. ever has any did anything ever come of that? Because that would sound like a perfect family sitcom and. Uh, have we seen any family sitcoms on ITV since 2012? No, so. they still keep showing Benidorm, which is doing very well for them. Yes. And keeps getting more viewers than virtually anything else. If I, if I can quote you from that specific episode, <laughs> James saying, uh, on hearing that there was a new series of Benidorm in 2012, oh, I thought that had finished. Yes, <laughs> no, it's still going so, strong. It's still going strong, yes. Benidorm is still there. And there was a sitcom as well that was uh, about, um, which... Um, we never, uh, which which apparently did get made, but as a uh, Jason Manford moving back into his. Uh, oh yeah, did they pilot parents. that? Apparently, or did I think yes. Right. His parents, he moved, he moved back into his parents' house. Yes. Uh, and then there was a, uh, there were, his grandparents were just getting into naturism. Nudism. So, uh, nudism. Okay. Yeah. So, ah, okay. Yeah. I do remember. Yeah, that was yeah. so. Yeah, that was piloted. I think. So, so, why you meant? I mean, sorry to deviate from our from your your plan so far though but moving back in with parents has got to be wow how many scripts of those 
everyone's got one of those moment. at the moment. Uh, well, along along with, and I'll be interested to hear what because because you're reading quite a few scripts every year. In the '90s, it was um, some people work in a video store, um, <laughs> and uh, since you know there, there are various versions of that. I don't know what the tropes are at the moment, but one of the well in the noughts it was uh, oh Seinfeld was about nothing. It was sitcoms about nothing. I was just arguing with somebody about this on Twitter today. That doesn't sound like you. (laughs) I know how out of character. Um, No, this thing about about Seinfeld not being about anything—that's something George says within the show. Exactly. George is not right about things when he talks about this kind of stuff. I don't. I really don't care for the way that's been picked up as a describer for Seinfeld because it's about loads. Yeah. Yes. I know. That's my. That for me is the equivalent of saying to uh, James, James, uh, do you think there should be more panel shows? On yeah. <laughs> um, I see oh, panel the... shows would be fine now. Yeah. Just, just any comedy would be good. Well, but we're, the other, but, uh, uh, sorry, the other thing I was going to say was um, just to go back. So on my blog, I talked to Ed Morrish, a BBC producer, radio producer, um, who's just gone freelance. He was saying that he got sent lots of sitcoms where siblings inherit a business, a family oh, business, right. and can't get on. But also, maybe it's just a Radio 4 thing, outposts of the empire full of strange people. Um, mm-hmm. But, Andrew, have you noticed any trends recently? Of- the, the one everyone I, everyone says to me is the afterlife sitcom. Is the, oh. is, is the, is the, the variant of, well, I'm dead, but it's sort of like being alive only, you know, so you get a house, but every t- so often someone will turn up yeah. and say, you have a mission to do and you have, you know, to Bill, redeem yourself. Um, and Bill, Bill Dare says that that was, you know, when he was a producer here at the BBC, which is where, where we happen to be, uh, which is completely irrelevant to you listening to it at the moment. And there um, is one of those, he, sorry, he, there he is. That was the, the, yeah, that right. was the very most common script he used to get. And there is one just coming out of America. That is that, okay. uh, and I'm trying to remember the damn name of it now. But it okay. was. It was it, you hear that tapping noise? It's all of our listeners deleting <laughs> PDFs. Or uh, scripts. I've got one. I've got one. I genuinely have one. Sat, well, on, sat on a thing. And you just, I actually believe in the afterlife. Yeah, I'm actually yeah. a Christian, but even I wouldn't bother writing a sitcom about that. <laughs> The right. best one is Old Harry's Game on Radio 4. That's the one to oh, go back yeah. to. Radio 4 yeah, has been done. Old um, Harry's pa- Game is great. My, my old um, co-writer, Pete Sinclair, his first uh, TV sitcom was an uh, outpost of the Empire. Uh, it was about a bunch of people in, in a, at a... Um, RAF station. Oh, um, all along the watch. That's the one, yes. 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 So, you know, these are. And, and of course, you know, you say, well, two students sharing a flat. Mm-hmm. Well, Peep Show, you know, yeah. Yeah. only one of the best sitcoms of the last sort of, 20 years. So, um, but not necessarily anyway, on your. Get, list. get back on. Yeah. Get back on. Sorry, topic. sorry. We're already off um, course. We're already off course. Right. So off topic. So it was just interesting to know, though, is ITV still uh, looking for sitcom? That's a, that is the main question from this. Really, we don't Who have any special knowledge on that. No, we don't know. We're deeply we're underqualified, apparently. Right. I, okay. All I know is that I'm invo- I have been involved with two ITV sitcoms in development. Mm-hmm. One of which has uh, fallen at the third fence. And one of which is still in the running. Right. So they are still they are still planning to make sitcoms. But, okay. Um, okay. You know. Fair enough. Well, let's uh, well let's move on anyway. From uh, in fact, let's switch channel from ITV to to Channel Four because in fact uh, Andrew has just uh, been involved in the writing of a series of uh, Blaps. Now, would you like to first yeah. tell us about Blaps and then tell us a 
generally what they are is specifically your contribution. Well, you know how nobody makes pilots anymore, or hardly at all. Um, so the alternative to doing that is to at least do a little sample taster tape of some kind. Um, and what's been quite nice is is those at least get made and polished and released, and you get a chance to put them in front of an audience. And they, I I always think it's a bit it always I always find it quite nerve wracking because it feels like a bit of a, a, a comedy X factor where mm. there's a god does the number of clicks matter is that the thing that's going to be relevant which I was never massively anxious about and except now I've got one in the in the pile and yes. it's, it's a whole new thing um, but the idea is that it gives you kind of three four five minute samples of what the sitcom would be like yeah. um, and things great chewing gum came out of that chewing gum was oh, bla- right. was, okay. was blaps long before it was a a half hour. Okay, we'll come to chewing gum in a minute. Um, but uh, so the ones that you have done, and uh, you've done three episodes of Outsiders. Yeah, um, which is it was it was a concept Beth and Gorman came up with. Um, citrus. Of, uh, citrus, mm-hmm. and and the the broad scope of it was. What if there were five, five characters who weren't from the UK living in a flat together in a way that would give you perceptions and opinions on the UK? It would be an outsider's perspective on us. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, what if those those five were comedians in their own right and you did it in an improv style, which is a, a very decent, solid foundation for something. But of course, it doesn't get you stories told. Um, because the, the nature of improv is to riff and riff and riff. Yes. And you end up with a lot of jokes. Um, and, then, and then there's a big laugh, and then you end the scene, and then you end, and you start all over again. Yeah, yeah. Um, so short of you know handing them a new prop that they can pretend to be as eight eight different things, or you know, um, <laughs> getting the who's line through it. But so now they brought me on board to kind of to kind of manage the 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 character casting of it, finding five characters who would be interesting together, because five comics could be anything, and they could all have very similar perspectives. Comedians mm. have a, there are natural similarities between the kinds of people who want to do that for a living in the first place, and we did want to pull from their personalities. We didn't have a lot of um, sort of rehearsal time for them to go away and go through the Mike Lee thing of well, now you're being born, and now this is your first day at school, <laughs> and da, 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 and eventually we'll get you to this flat share sitcom yes. you're going to be doing. Um, so we wanted to pull from yes, they tend not to develop sitcoms that way yeah exactly. funny that yeah. it's not quite the time or the money yeah. for. Um, but this is something that we've talked about a lot before and, and I've started to notice with, with sketch shows and if I was talking to uh, Ruth uh, Ruth Trod or Trod and Brat is that right have I said the name correctly and they, they do a very funny Radio 4 sketch show um, but they do develop their sketches from improv and um, you know because James and I come from the tradition of a sketch is a two-minute thing. It starts like this, mm-hmm. it develops, and then uh, something. And there's a, a it's like a mini three-act play. That's how we've always done sketches. That's how BBC Radio has always done sketches. But now improv has kind of changed that. Yeah. So it's good to know that actually, yes, there's these people improvising. But now here's a writer who knows about story, who's being, and so you were kind of like. But that improv, in, but, but sorry, yeah. but that improv thing creates a completely different rhythm as well. Because I just tweeted earlier this week. I can't remember how I was thinking about it, but I was thinking about the scene in Red Dwarf, a show that you know oh, well, yes. where um, where Lister is trying to teach Crichton how to lie, and it's a lovely little episode opener of the episode called Camille, Camille. I think it is, and and you can tell that the guys who wrote that scene used to write sketches. 
because it's, yeah. it's just an absolutely rock-solid sketch in its own right, actually, mm. which then turns out to be very useful because, obviously, uh, Crichton has to lie at the end of the episode to Camille and all that kind of stuff. So it's a, but it's, it's got a very sketch-like structure to it, and so that must be hard to then go from that sort of thing into something that's much more slippery in terms of how these guys are coming up with their with their comedy. How did you wrestle with that? Well, we, we kind of started from a, a, a planned point. There were stories when we came in. So they'd already been given them, they'd already been prepped. Um, and in two out of three cases, the final episodes are kind of pretty close to the stories we originally had. Well, we didn't know necessarily what the individual scenes were, so the day of improv that we had for getting all of this up and running uh, was was built around, we know what the story is, but let's see what combinations work. So you pull out two of your five cast members and you say you take them off to the side yeah. and have them have a run in it, or you and you throw in an extra element, or what, and what if you suggest this? And it was, I mean, just as a, th- a piece of directing, it was incredibly fun to do. And we had this... Um, we had a typist from Big Brother who was logging everything as we went through, so we were getting it down as fast as the guys were saying it. So I ended up, I went home with this huge, thick sheaf of, of scripted material of everything that they'd said for the whole day. But it was based on a story we were trying to tell, and then it was pulled back into either the story we were trying to tell, or in the case of one of them, we came up with a brand new story sort of out of all of the riffs and improvs that happened within it because the story itself wasn't playing in the improv. It was all kind of collapsing and falling apart. So it was starting with a structure, letting them wander outside the boundaries and find everything, right. and then corralling everything that we'd got back into a structure again. Um, it's like herding kittens or something. Yeah, it's, 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 it does it's, sound like it, it's, yeah. it works a treat. It really... Because... So much of, I mean, what they've said, you know, the thing about sitcom is it's, it's about getting the right characters in the first place. It's right about populating that universe correctly with people who are going to rub up against each other and do interesting things. And what we found was by casting it correctly in the first place, by sitting down with each of the, the performers that we picked and indeed the performers that we didn't pick and saying, what's wrong with you? What will you do that would cause an argument? What are you going to argue about for no good reason? And pulling those bits of personality. What are you obsessed with? What are you difficult about? Um, and we picked the ones that we picked because we knew you could basically take any two of them, lock them in a room mm. and watch something go wrong. Yeah. Watch something interesting happen. It's exactly what I would love to do with my right, with the written version of sitcom that takes you ages and ages and ages. Imagine if a cast of characters just paraded in front of you and you got to select them, yeah. having auditioned them and then dump them in your sitcom. It's, it's like the shortcut to getting it right. right. I'm really, I'm quite excited about it, but it's... Yeah, it, it's it's. What it also gives you, which I noticed from, especially the uh, the third episode I watched, uh, where the the mugger, I think, yeah, it's mugged. mugged. What's great is because what improv gives you is it says this has happened and this has happened and this has happened, and you actually get a ton of story, um, and lots of different angles on it, and other people experiencing a sort of a mugging of their own, as it were. Yeah. Um, and in and I'm sort of looking and watching it, and then watching like. Blimey, four minutes has gone by, and they basically all managed to have some sort of story in this. He's actually crunching through it, and that—that's obviously the thing that we keep buffing up against um, with our first ten pages when people send in the scripts. Ten pages in, <laughs> nothing has happened. It's just people talking. There's nothing like a, a black time limit, knowing that you have to be under five minutes, more or less. So, you have to tell a story at yeah. that time. You have to get something going. I mean, I've watched uh, one one and a bit episodes, and I just um, I wonder though, is it um, is there a danger? And I'm 
not necessarily danger because it's 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 like almost creating a new genre of like sort of the five minute sitcom, um, and then people You're, look at that and they'll say, mm, well, "Oh, it works at five minutes." Yeah, I'm desperate. I am genuinely desperately worried about that because mm. one of the one of the things people do with the with blaps and things like the blaps. Um, quite a lot is just shoot a scene is shoot a scene of the half hour sitcom that you'd written and you get to take that in and so see it would be it would be like this but you'd get full creative fulfilment at the end because the narrative would conclude and yeah. everything so you've left everyone hanging and I've perhaps made the miscalculation of making them self-contained and work as their own stories yeah no we'll, no I we'll think see I, if that hurts us or not well I mean I think you I think you probably it is a smart move to do that because they do work in their own right and there's sort of a you know, there are still sort of loose ends, I guess, a little bit here and there, but um, but there's going to be in four four minutes, four or five minutes, and some of that is opening titles. Oh yes, and, and the credits. And the credits. Uh, um, so, but yeah, no, it must be frustrating to effectively try to show what you can do in twenty eight minutes by giving them a four minute thing, yeah. and the yeah. two are sort of quite different in that sense. Well, but you do get a very strong sense of the characters yeah. and the story, oh, totally, and the sort yeah. of show it would be. So I, I, let's hope. I guess that your argument would be well. Look at uh, chewing gum. Look at Michaela Cole and see how that developed. Which which is my very nice way Beautiful of segue. segue way I see what happened to there. talk about um, chewing gum, which which for me was was a very fascinating, uh, amazing sitcom. Really, and series two being made at the moment. Um, but I was uh, saying to Andrew earlier that in fact I was. Uh, on the verge of writing a blog uh, about a year ago, I'd, I've been we we sat through um, the whole uh, the whole of Cold Feet. This was before we knew that Cold Feet was going to be remade. Just just it was a, a Christmas present. Oh, five seasons of Cold Feet. Oh, it was it, yeah, very enjoyable to watch. But the thing that really was bugging me was those, these black characters in Cold Feet, and in each of them was you know the, it was. The, the black person and there was a kind of there was almost it's sort of going out of its way to not be racist and, right. and, and there was just some, but there was something about each of the characters that just wasn't they weren't they were the only people who weren't real who, who weren't sort of believable weren't right? ringing true when you heard them talk and yeah it just felt like we haven't got enough black people in this show it just felt classic tokenism and I, and I was just sort of thinking and, and yeah actually there's I couldn't think of any sitcoms where there'd been like consistently several good black performers or black stand-up or, or black characters apart from sitcoms that were just yeah. black characters like Desmond's uh, being the obvious example. And then along comes Chewing Gum. It started as a black then. This I didn't see the, the, the Chewing Gum black version. How did that come about? Chewing Gum was... Um, McKenna had done a live show, had done a um, Chewing Gum Dreams where she kind of sort of played all the parts I think I never actually saw it but it, you could tell she had a voice everybody was besotted with this voice um, and so they brought her to, to Channel 4 to, to try and bulk, not even bulk that out but find an angle on it that turned it into a sitcom but the first version I saw they'd been working for a long time they'd written a lot of stuff and they had done the blaps and the blaps had scenes from the masses of material that she'd written because Michaela's nothing if not prolific. Um, all this amazing stuff goes down, and they shot two of the best scenes. And one of the one of the one of the the killers, which we actually ended up using, reshooting and using in the first season, was her going to go and get birth control from the the pharmacist, despite not actually having had sex. But she definitely needs the morning after pill. 
and it's a sort of running joke about her ignorance and you know but also her fear about her reputation and her life and so as a set piece scene it was a character who wanted something and the funny way they went about getting it so it was a really good just sort of demonstration of how this would work as a comedy show but the scripts they had themselves were quite unruly at the time it was still not working as kind of a half hour mm. comedy so much as it was six hours of really good material but you know a plot would turn up in episode two and then you wouldn't see the characters for three episodes and then they would come back and it was because well it was because no one had given her a script editor I mean it was as simple as that nobody had kind of have, had kind of given her that kind of this is how you structure it support mm -hmm. just that kind of masterclass stuff so within a few weeks, we we totally rang it, and she, you know, she did everything. But you, you give her the tools to do the job, and she just ran. And the new drafts that were coming in for that first series were just killer. Um, it was so exciting to watch it all, watch it all come through. So now by series two, you know, I barely need to be there. I'm barely relevant anymore. You've done yourself out of a job. I've done myself out of a job. Um, well, this, which does happen as a script editor if you're not careful. It's, it's a risk. Are, it's and a also, risk. you are. Don't teach them to fish. Buy them a fish. <laughs> Continually buy them fish. Yeah. Turn up with fish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because obviously, as a, as a line item on a budget, it's one of the easiest things to go, isn't it? And that must be very frustrating to be particularly have a reputation as a script editor. I know you're a writer as well, obviously, but. I did once hear somebody say, well, we could get a script editor or we could spend the money on the show. <laughs> Which is just there's the heart, most heartbreaking. <laughs> it oh, is very disappointing. Oh. What I loved about um, uh, Chewing Gum, which I thought was brilliant, was that the thing that, that sexual ignorance, which I yeah. thought was really fresh in it, because it just feels like everybody is so, every, all the young people on TV in the comedies, they know everything about sex. Yeah. And everything. And, well, she doesn't know anything at all. Mm. And I felt that element of a character, but also the fact that I just totally believed in the world that she was in. Yeah. I felt I had so much, and, and it's no coincidence, actually, it's interesting you say how prolific she was, because we, we tend to associate being prolific with it basically, basically being rubbish. <laughs> and actually, I'm sure a lot of it was rubbish, but... All it's what it's doing is is it's establishing the world. Yeah, you're you're just going for a walk in this world all the time and just get it into your bones. Yeah, um, and so it's just I think think being prolific and writing and writing and writing is actually much more use than at first. Even even if you're not really shaping it very well or structuring it in any way, you can probably get some help with that. But you need that voice. You need that world. You need that access. And that's what I felt. Um, was really strong in that series, and I and I hate everything. <laughs> I'm shouting at the TV after usually three minutes on most shows, but with this one, I watched it, and after three minutes, I was like, "Oh, okay. Oh, this is going to be great. This is yeah. this feels like a show. This is all good." And they were just characters that you just never seen on TV. They were they were zombies from outer space. They were completely oh, believable, incredibly people. authentic feeling, but yeah. without it feeling like because it's so easy to get kind of Ken Loachy about authenticity yeah, yeah. and. It's such a vibrant, colourful version of that world. Yeah, yeah. It's mm. not grim and miserable. Mm. It's, I, 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 you're right. I especially do like this this clash between the show is sexually confident. The show yes. is happy to talk about this yeah. stuff. Mm. The character hasn't got a bloody clue. Yeah. Um, there's 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 a nice contrast there, and actually just looking at ways to make your main character interesting. Yeah. Because one of the biggest problems with a lot of um, a lot of scripted stuff 
where we put ourselves in as the main character, a version of you is the lead. Well, you tend to be right about things. Yes. You tend to be at least in your own head. You know, you and and that self-knowledge of where your ignorance lies and what's wrong with you is how you get really good I I think how often how you get really good protagonists. Mm-hmm. It's a note I give a lot on um sitcoms written by stand-ups actually because the nature of stand-up is to observe everyone else being awful and ridiculous and stupid and then they go and write a pilot sitcom and that's what happens is that their character observes everyone else being yeah. ridiculous and stupid and it's and it's the weak it is it's exactly that it's their, they become the weakest character and what Michaela's done is she's found exactly where her best ironies and contradictions lie about who she was and where she came from and has used that to fuel the whole thing mm-hmm. and watching that one character go after stuff she's got such a drive yeah. she's mm-hmm. so definite and proactive and she doesn't know the borders of her own ignorance mm-hmm. yeah. it's, it's exactly what it's um for all the talk about voice and ethnicities and blah, 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 it's just a really solid prototypical exactly how it should function sitcom yeah. um, and that's how I mean it's really important that you know what she wants in each scene she's going after it she doesn't know what the consequences of it will be and that tips her into the next thing um, that's really strong I, I think that's again something that is very easy to talk about very hard to do the other show we were just talking earlier the show that I'm loving at the moment still and I've nearly got up to date with it is The Goldbergs yeah. and what's great about that show is that in every single scene you know what each character is trying to do yeah. and and then you know at the end of the scene that that scene didn't go as that character had planned and what they are then going to try and do next. I don't know why it's that particular show that I feel does that so well. Maybe it's because it's not quite as dense as other shows. If you're watching Modern Family with 15 characters, Mm. you get to eight minutes in and you're exhausted and they have a commercial (laughs) break and you think, I feel like I've watched half an hour and I've got another sort of 12 minutes to go. but maybe it's because you have such a strong central performance and central voice, as right. it were, that navigates you right. uh, through lots of different things. Yeah. But um, but yeah, that that drive I think is really key, and it's it, and that's I guess why Seinfeld is mm. the least interesting character in his own show. Exactly. Yeah, um, and he's too close to reason. In, in a sense, of that cast, I always thought that was part of the joke as well. It's a show, a show <laughs> yes. called Seinfeld, starring Jerry Seinfeld. And it's a really, really funny show, apart from him, <laughs> who happens to be a stand-up comedian. And, 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 and a pretty witches. terrible actor, <laughs> yeah. who laughs half, at a, yeah. half laughs at his own jokes yeah. in the show. <laughs> he just did a, um, one of his, his t- Getting Coffee in a Car shows right. with John Oliver. Oh, I've not seen that yet. Go um, on, how is it? And it's, it's very good. Although I find it so choppy. I never find it... Robert Llewellyn did Carpool with the same kind yes. of idea first, by the way. Yeah. But he would let that conversation roll, and you'd see yeah. proper, proper back and forth. And I kind of, I wish there was a bit more of that. But anyway, oh, the comedians car thing. I know what you mean because it feels like a trailer yes. for the longer version. Yeah, but you can't yeah. get the longer version. Yeah, right? that's exactly yes, it. That's, that's it's a very good. Edited within an inch of its life, isn't it? But one of the things that Jerry had said was that, um, and John was talking about um, acting that he'd done was that when both of them have been in scenes, they're not really re- responding the way actors are supposed to respond, which is by feeding back with reactions and stuff. They're sat there going, look at the good acting you're doing. <laughs> oh, you're so good. Oh, I could watch, aren't you? Is it my turn? Yeah. And it's, uh, at least he's aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd just like to come back, because we do, uh, James and I do often berate the, the lack of narrative uh, comedy. And it is, I, I think it's no coincidence that... Um, 
since Phil Clark has been appointed as head of narrative comedy at Channel 4, there's been such a sort of strong kind of emphasis on, on stories and shows like Chewing Gum and, and uh, The Windsors is currently my oh, favourite. Okay, show. I've taped it, still haven't watched it. And, but uh, it's interesting that they're choosing to do satire with story, with power monkeys and ballot monkeys yeah. and all that kind of stuff as well. That's so. right, yeah, yeah. And I mean, but the Windsors is just, and, and, and uh, I love, you know, Burton, Burt Tullamore and uh, George Jeffries, they, they, they've done loads of uh, sitcoms. They've, they've never, ever done anything sort of topical at all. It's probably the most kind of powerfully satirical uh, comedy show of the last sort of 20 years, I think, really. But it just, it, it, it plays the Windsor family. I, I can't, you know, it plays them at uh, ele- 11 on volume. And it, uh, but, but there's really the story, the, the, the narrative is the thing that's kind of pushing through. I just wondered if you, you're all finding generally with Channel Four that there's a kind of that there is there is a thirst for narrative. I, it does seem to be the feel. I mean, certainly I've done a lot of stuff for them over the last however long it's been. Um, but I wonder um, if um, we, we, the other long-running debate we have is about the preference for writer-performer material oh. and the fact that she is performing her own material, as yeah. it were. And that's great. I'm not, you know, no, no, nothing you, wrong you with you. Didn't only get on because yeah. you're writer-performer, not at all. But it does feel, from a non-performing point of view, that you've got a bit of a mountain to climb. And that's, I mean, that's telly-wide. That's that's not at all limited to Channel 4. Oh, no, not um, at all. No, no. That's, and it is. It's 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 one of the, the deeply upsetting things is that you know. And you and you see, because I get, I get brought sometimes the sitcoms that they commission because they like the performer. And the script itself is a is a train wreck that badly needs an awful lot of help. And it's like, well, we could have had a basically solid show first and then found this really good yeah. performer and put them in it. Um, there are quite a lot of, yeah. I know quite a lot of comedy writers in the same situation where they are basically being, they're, they're, they're basically being given a script to fix. Mm. And it's like, why didn't they just ask us yeah, to write tough. it in the first place? It's very place? tough. Um, yeah. And so, uh, but because you, you can't, Fill the Apollo with four thousand people. Mm-hmm. That's why. <laughs> I do. I would. I would love to see, and I. I, I realise this is pie in the sky, but there is a. Um, of course, this guy made me laugh. This this woman made me laugh in one context. I imagine that would also work if it was a narrative comedy that they did. Mm. I get that. Could we not pull from drama and soaps and from the writing side of other mm. things into sitcom and say, well? They made me feel stuff and care about the characters and be really excited by the story. I imagine we can probably solve the joke problem. Yes. Yeah, yeah, the joke problem. Well, I would love to see someone dare to experiment yeah. a bit more. Well, actually, yeah. there you go with, with ITV's biggest performing comedy is Benidorm. Very by, true. Uh, yeah. By somebody who's uh, Darren's done lots of yeah. soap and stuff. Totally, like, totally. Yeah, and drama. Right, yes. And, uh, but uh, I mean, I think this is, and again, I don't want to go over things that, 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 that we've talked a lot about before. No, let's go over them. <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> Run <laughs> over that thing until it's um, flat. <laughs> but, yeah, the, the, the fact is that, that, that you know, the, the, the great uh, sitcoms of the past were populated with, with actors who just spent, spent their working lives in front of audiences at rep theatres. Um, and that, But now, the kind of people who are live performers are people who have also got massive experience but just standing in front of drunk uh, head knights or whatever I'll tell you, I'll um, tell you what else corporate dudes and I still I miss how many and I still get most excited by sitcom performers who aren't the same in two different shows yeah you know, and that was that's the I mean everybody we all cite Ronnie Barker or whatever yeah. as the as well, um, Reggie Perrin and um, uh, Rigsby Rigsby, Rigsby. Yeah. 
and that's the thing. And I, so when you when you see Mark Heap turn up in something, and he's nothing yeah. like Mark Heap was in the last time he was in something, that's really exciting. And I'm a lot less excited by. Well, we've seen this guy play this ver- version of this character in this one show, so why don't we give him his own show where he plays a version of this character? Yeah, same character, yeah. Um, mm. I, I feel, and that's, you know, that's because that's the kind of character that person plays, and that's where it stops. I think we should wrap this one up. I was and in the next say. episode, we should oh, do gosh. Ask Andrew. But, uh, we shall, but before we wrap up, we asked uh, you for, we, we uh, ahead of this uh, podcast, we tweeted that we were doing it and we oh, asked yes. you for your questions so we've got a couple of uh, questions we'll do one at the end of the other next episode as well um, and of course we've got quite a few questions actually um, we'll start with uh, this is from uh, Tom Wentworth on Twitter uh, well, they'll all be on Twitter so Tom says uh, he asks about the tone of a show how can you how do you rework tone and if, for instance going from from fast to something more subtle he says but I guess you mean how you know you can maybe go from you can have like a dramatic very uh, moment of great pathos and then into a sort of moment of I I miss so did it did he is that what he means or does he mean changing changing well I originally wrote this as a black comedy but now they want it to be quite zany oh I have I completely misinterpreted that well either ask the question you're right I think you're more right Right. how do you rework it yeah um I mean you have to Tone is such a weird thing. Like, uh, the example I use over and over and over again, like a lazy slob, is somebody gets hit on the head with a frying pan in the thick of it, they go to A&E or they spend the rest of the episode with a concussion. Mm-hmm. If it happens in bottom, they laugh it off or more likely they pick up something heavier and hit you back with it. You just have to know what the ri- what the rules are for your fiction. It's exactly mm-hmm. like science fiction. It's like building the rules of, sci- of a science fiction universe. What does this thing actually do? How does the do, do people get when they when they lie? Is it really obvious to the audience, but yeah. not at all obvious to the character? Or does the actor have to play it like it's true, because the lie, you know? So what are the rules? And asking for the rules to change on a show? Well, what we 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 wanted a. Uh, a, a dark black comedy, but now we've decided this should be with a live studio audience. I mean, you have to go back to square one, don't you? you I think so. You can't yeah. just kind of tweak shows, that a lot. Shows feel audience or non to me, but I, mm. I, that, I'm not. Lots of people don't agree with that. They sort of think that you could put you, you could put an audience show into an audience setting or vice mm. versa. I mean, to some extent, with Bluestone Four Two, Richard and I wanted to do a studio show. You'd be hard pushed to do a bomb disposal in Afghanistan show in a studio. Yeah. So we tried to write it with a rhythm of a comedy of a of an audience sitcom, um, and then not w- whether we succeeded in that is obviously not for me to say. But um, but well, anyway, that's time for you. Well, you bless go. you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Should we save the next question for the next time? Because uh, we are we are yeah, our time okay. is at an end. All right. Okay. So um, in the next in the next podcast, uh, we're going to fire questions at you continually. And we will all be naked. <laughs> we will be naked. Oh, hang like on. This Jason is, Manford. Just like Jason like Manford's grandparents. Yes. yes, exactly. Cool. <laughs> so, uh, how do we how do we get out of this podcast? Right, okay. Bye. <laughs> no, going. is that not how it works? Yeah, yeah. No. Well, we could have a cliffhanger, couldn't we? we yeah. Could, we could say this is like an... Dave, take your hands off my...